Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning to you. Welcome to Bible Center. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the honor and the privilege of opening God's Word with us together this morning. Hopefully, you've had a, a good weekend. We had chaos in college football. That always makes it a good weekend, right? I know we have some Tennessee fans, but I'm not sure if they're in the building. They're over here. Okay, all right. I knew they might be around. So um, we, uh, we had quite a few families of, of ours participating in a state soccer tournament yesterday at Shawnee. Um, so middle school and high school both. And so congrats to all the athletes that were part of that yesterday. BCS, our, our school, was a part of that. And so great time. Just a beautiful day to sit and, and take all of that in yesterday. And so praise the Lord for that. Um, have you ever heard or seen the phrase hashtag goals? Have you ever seen that before? Maybe if you're on Twitter or, or Instagram or something like that, you might have seen that hashtag before, but it's but people will put that up in different ways for different things, but it's it's I've come up with a goal for my life. And so it's a hashtag that you can follow, hashtag goals. One of my best friends in the world. Uh, is coach Dwayne Osborne, and he's the head coach at uh, University of Charleston. Some of us, I look around the room, I see some of us that are fans, and we are at most of the games. Um, So the season actually for them started yesterday. They started their first official practice. Uh, So if you're a fan of of basketball, you saw some of the midnight madnesses and things like that that were going on this weekend. And so yesterday was the first day that they could officially have practices as a a team. Um, And so I love this guy. Uh, he's, he's a great friend. He's part of our, our life group, he and his family. Um, and we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the years. Um, he's a, a guy in my life that I would say has fridge rights. And I have fridge rights in his house. Uh, if you had a 2 a.m. phone call, he's on the list for the 2 a.m. phone call. It's got that kind of relationship. And so we enjoy each other a lot. Um, and so a little while ago, he had a goal. A goal. He looked at his life, and he's a coach. So if you've ever been around a coach, most of the time they're pretty driven, um, and they they make their living encouraging in different ways, exhorting many times athletes to get better, to take next steps. Uh, and so he reached a point in his life where he had a goal for himself. And he looked in the mirror and he said, "I don't like what I see right now." And so he had a goal, and I want to walk you through kind of his thought process, because it really sets up what we're going to talk about today. And so this is what he put on Twitter not too long ago. He said, I wanted to see my kids go to college, get married, and do great things with their lives. With their lives, The best chance to make this happen would require me to make some health changes. It is said that the body you give yourself at age 40, don't be nervous, that's just his opinion, is what you will have to live with from then on. As an obese 45-year-old, I didn't like that. I was also behind the clock five years. I decided to take action. In under eight months, seven plus three weeks exactly, I lost 46 pounds. I'm not selling anything, free of charge to you. Here's how I did it and how I'm confident you can do it too. So his first thing that he goes into when he talks about this journey for him, this goal for him, is he says, number one, want to. This is the most important step by far. 
In life, people, people typically do what they want to do. If you want to pass class, you will. If you want to get in better shape, you will. This is where you begin. If you don't do this, it's not gonna happen. Doesn't that sound like a coach? Want to, you can hear him the first day of practice. If you want to win this year, this is what you're gonna have to do. Like, if you want to. So he starts with want to. He goes through quite a few other different things and you can find them on Twitter if you'd like to see the whole thread. But he gets down to what he says is number five. This is the 12th tweet in this thread. But number five, he says, coaches and or partners. In many ways, I believe this is as important as anything. I had quite a few people help, encourage, coach, and hold me accountable. They did this in a positive way. They never let me off the hook, but were always encouraging, each in their own way. In conclusion, I think it's really important to look at it as a lifestyle change and not a diet. The above is what worked for me. Maybe there's something better or different for you. Goals. Goals. You know, we all have goals in life. We all have different things that we would like to accomplish. We all have things that, that we set out to do. Many times as we approach a new year, we think about those goals. And we think about what would I like to see in this year? And so many, many of you might even be thinking about that now as we're coming toward closer to 2023 and what you might want to accomplish. Many of us take stock in our life at different points in our life. And we look back over the last five years or 10 years or 15 years or whatever it might be. We say, am I doing what I would like to be doing? Or have I accomplished what I would like to accomplish? So this morning, we're going to look into Ephesians chapter four, and we're going to see what the apostle Paul says to us should be our goal. Should be our goal. Goals. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I would encourage you to open up to Ephesians chapter four. It's where we're spending the majority of this year together. Uh, we've been in this series on unity for a few weeks now and have just a few weeks more. And this today is kind of a hinge sermon. It's kind of a middle of the series that we're in. So some of this passage in Ephesians chapter four turns on the verse that we're gonna look at today. But before we get started in Ephesians chapter four, I'm gonna give you a couple thoughts on the topic at hand, unity. Unity is hard. It's hard. Just like a health journey that we just looked at with Coach Osborne is hard, unity is hard. It's hard work to be unified. It's much easier to be divided. It's much easier to be divided. Why is it hard? A couple of reasons. One, we minimize it. A lot of times we don't think it's that big of a deal. And so we allow it to just kind of drift. And like most things in life, when you let it drift, it, it goes to the right and down. That's the natural curve for anything in life that we don't care for, that we don't work at. It goes to the right and down. And unity is one of those things. And so we minimize and we say, it's, you know, it's not that big a deal that we're unified and it's all right to, to see society the way that it is because it's not, it's not that big a deal. So we minimize the importance of it. And we put church in that category. Church is that place I go. 
that program I attend, that Sunday thing I do. It's not the people that I'm with because to acknowledge that it's the people and not the building or the place or the program means now I've got something I have to do to participate in that. So we minimize it and we take it down a notch and we check a box that I was, I was here on a Sunday and so that counts. But unity, to be unified, it's hard. The second thing is it's really hard work to live in biblical unity because it's going to cost us something. So we minimize it, but we also stop short because it then costs us something to actually get it. And so this morning, what we're gonna look at in Ephesians chapter four is this encouragement from Paul to contribute what is needed to get unity, to give up what is needed to keep unity. We're going to go back to chapter 3, starting in verse 14. We're going to read through what we've gone through so far so that we continue to keep ourselves in the loop on the context of where we are in this incredible letter to the church at Ephesus. So Ephesians 3 Verse 14, if you remember back on September 11th when we started two services, this is exactly where we started. This is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And he says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that's a prayer for the church at Ephesus. Then by extension, it's a prayer for us. It's a prayer for us, that Paul is praying for us. He's praying that God may strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. We're gonna look at that a little bit more here in just a minute. But there's this, this undergirding in the life of a believer where we are rooted and established in love. And that love is Jesus' love for us. So him coming and dying on the cross for our sins so that we can know God is how we are rooted and established in love. So we've been built up and established in the love of Christ. So we've been rooted and established in love. And then he prays that we might have, in verse 18, the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So not only is he saying that we've been rooted and established in this love of Jesus, but now he's saying that as we live our life, one of the, the greatest successes in our life would be to start to grasp how magnificent the love of Christ for us is, how overwhelming the love of Christ for us is, how immeasurable the love of Christ for us is. That's success in life. You've been rooted and established in that because Jesus has come for you so that you can know God. And now the journey in life is to understand that love more, is to know that love more, to live in that love more. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Knowing Christ's love 
leads to filling. That's the thing. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. As a prisoner for the Lord then. So some of your Bibles might say, therefore, here in the NIV, it says as a prisoner for the Lord, then. So built on what I just talked about, built on the things I just told you, built on all of the details that I just gave you, then, or therefore, and he keeps going, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters in Ephesus, I urge you, brothers and sisters at Bible Center Church, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And if you're reading Paul, you might have a friend that would be similar to Paul. This is where they're getting a little amped up. Like he's built this case and he's, he's kind of presenting this case and he's starting to get a little amped up and you can hear his voice rising a little bit as he's going through this. And he's, he's, it's not, I urge you. It's, I urge you. I urge you. Like, did you just hear what I just said? God can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or think. And so therefore, I urge you. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And if that didn't cover everything, which that covers a lot, if that didn't cover everything, then we come to the verse that we have for today. Verse three, verse three where he kind of sums up, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, live life worthy of the calling you have received. And he sums it up by saying this. Parents, you've done this before. You say a list of things and then you do the catch-all phrase. And he does the catch-all phrase. He says, make every effort make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Be humble, be gentle, have humility, live life worthy of the calling, make every effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The value system for the Christian includes a desire for deep unity with other believers. The value system for the Christian, for the person who says, I am a follower of Jesus. And that person is living a life that Paul has just prayed for. They're rooted and established in the love of Christ. That's the, the foundation that their life is built on. And as they are living, they're becoming more and more aware of the love of Christ in their own life. And they're living and walking with a group of people who also are on the same journey they are. 
And so as they go on that journey, as we go on that journey, we will have a, a deeper and deeper and deeper desire for deep unity with other believers. It's a craving. It's a craving. We have to have that. It's the way we've been made. It's the way the church has been built. And so as you grow in Christ, you will be longing for deep unity, deep relationship with others who know Jesus too. Three things I wanna point out from this verse. Three things I wanna point out from this verse. Number one, the priority. At the very beginning of this verse, he says, Paul says, make every effort to keep. If you say that to someone, what you're doing is you're setting a value, right? If you were to say that to one of your kids, make every effort, like you're strongly encouraging at this point. Basically, you're saying, I don't wanna command you to do it, but it's pretty much that. Make every effort, like make every effort to keep your room clean. That means I expect when I walk into your room, it's gonna be clean. Make every effort, like it's, it's a big deal. You're setting a value for what you think is important. And so Paul here is setting a value for those who would follow Jesus. He says, make every effort to keep. So a couple things about that. The first thing here is it's built by Jesus because he says, make every effort to keep. Not to begin, not to start, not to create, but to keep. So it's something that's already in existence. And our job now is to keep it there. And so it was built by Jesus. If you go back to Ephesians chapter two, verse 14, Paul said this to the same church in the same letter as he's describing what Jesus did when he came and he died on the cross. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, he literally created unity. He created unity. Yes, he gave us salvation, but he created unity. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility. It's gone. He created peace. The two became one. So Jesus built this unity. Our job is to keep this unity. It's to keep this unity, which means we have to participate there's a part of this unity that relies on us. Because Paul is saying to people, make every effort to keep this unity. If you remember back in the summer, we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and we were talking about being filled by the Spirit. And in that sermon, we talked about how being filled by the Spirit, there's a us participation in that. There's a God part that he does, but there's also a part that, that he's challenging us to participate in our own filling. It's very similar here. There's a huge God part where Jesus has built unity and he has proclaimed, I will build my church. But there's also a part where we participate, where we're involved. And so when we participate, we make the effort to keep this unity. It requires our participation to keep it. 
It means it has to be a value for us. That means that you and I both have to hear unity and think that's something I'm called to. That's something I've been encouraged to be a part of. That's a value for Jesus. That's a value for Paul. That's, the, that's a value for me. And so I'm gonna start to organize my life around this priority, around this value system where unity is what I'm helping to keep. So how does that happen? Well, let's keep going. Number two from this verse is the purpose. So the first thing here he talks about is the priority. The priority to make every effort to keep. The second thing he talks about is the purpose of that effort. The purpose of that effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And so it's not just make every effort for anything, but it's make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. That's how important this is. That's how valuable this is. That's how big a deal this is to Paul. That we as a body would keep, to make every effort to keep this unity. It's a big deal. Why? Well, the first thing is it's the power for the church. It's the power for the church. Look at this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. This is Jesus speaking. He says, again, I truly tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So for years, I thought this was a numbers verse. You know, because you see the numbers, you're like, oh, this is about numbers. It's not about numbers, it's about agreement. He's literally saying if two people, two people can be unified, two people can come underneath the leading of the Holy Spirit and be unified, and they ask for anything that's in the will of God, then God will do that. That's how big a deal unity is. It's massive. It's the power for the church. Agreement. And all throughout the New Testament, you see examples of unity being blessed in the church. We talked about Acts chapter two just a few weeks ago. All the believers were together and they had everything in common and the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. In Ephesians chapter three, what we just read, the prayer from Paul, togetherness, rooted and established, aware of God's love. And then God is able to do more than we can ask or think. Our call, our purpose, our drive is unity. Our goal is unity. It's not great programs or fantastic buildings. Those are all just tools and resources. But the undercurrent, the drive is unity. That's how big a deal it is. Because when that is present, God blesses. He moves. He does things that we can't ask or imagine. It happens when we're unified. When we're in agreement. When we're together. It's the power 
for the church. Second thing, it's also a vision of Jesus for the world. It's a vision of Jesus for the world. So we're called to love each other, but we're also called to love our neighbors. And so how do we do that? By loving each other in many cases. This vision for the world, we find it in John chapter 13, says this. This is Jesus speaking again to his disciples. Verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. So anytime Jesus would say that, that's a pay attention moment. A new command I give you. A command means that if we don't do that, then we're in sin. It's that level. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unity is big enough that Jesus was willing to command it. And he says, by this, people will know that you are my disciples. Again, not by our building and not by our program and not by the stuff that we do out on the ball fields and all of that, all of that's fantastic stuff. But by this, the love that we have for each other, the unity that we have together among us, that's the vision of Jesus to the world. That's the thing. And he takes it so far that he says, I'm commanding you to do this. And if you don't do that, that means you're in sin. And we put so many things in place of that. And we say, this is the thing, and this is the thing, and this is the thing. And Jesus is saying, no, it's love each other. That's the thing. Love each other. Be unified. That's a vision of Jesus to the world. It makes sense though, if you think about it. For those of you that know Christ, what's the thing that attracted you to him? Likely it's the fact that he was willing to die for you. Right? He was willing to die for you. The love of Christ is what compelled you. And so he's saying, as I have loved you, love each other. As I modeled for you, the thing that was most desirable about Jesus for us, he wants to be the thing for us to the world. Love each other. That's how big Unity is. So number one was the priority, make every effort to keep, shapes our values. Number two is the purpose, the unity of the spirit. And number three is the process. The process to keep this unity through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep this unity through the bond of peace. First thing I'd say about that one is through the bond of peace means that that's up close and personal. 
In some cases, that's inside personal space through the bond of peace. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is found in Matthew chapter nine. And my mind went to this as, as I was studying for this. And this is Jesus and he is calling Matthew to be one of his disciples. And Matthew, for those of you that have been around church for a while, you know that Matthew was, was not what people would have looked at and said, yeah, that's a guy I want to be a disciple of Jesus. He was a tax collector, which was kind of the other category. Sinners and tax collectors, other. It's a special place. He was that person. He's not well-loved, not well-liked in Israel. And, and Jesus decides that this guy should be a disciple. It's a vision of what he's doing with the church, putting together this group of people. And the Pharisees, religious leaders, the me of that day, watch him and they see him sitting there with Matthew and they see him having dinner with Matthew and they look at him and they say, why are you eating with people like that? Why are you spending any time at all with people like that? And Jesus' response is a response that probably for 20 years I've been chewing on, like, whew, what do you do with that? He says this in verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, we're really good at the trappings of Christianity. We can get up on a Sunday and we can show up here on occasion. We can put our time in, we can hear a message and we can walk out and we can shake hands and we can smile and we can go about our business. In many ways, that was very similar to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They had the ornaments and the robes and the rituals and the sacrifices and, and they would choose to live their life by those rituals and by those sacrifices. And they felt like by doing all of those things on the outside, it would make them holy. It would make them acceptable to God. And Jesus comes along and he says, you can't be acceptable to God, not on your own. There's not anything in the world that you can do that would make you holy. There's not anything in the world that would do that would make you acceptable to God, save knowing Christ. And so he looks at those religious leaders and he says, learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. And you think when you first read it, you know, those two words are really similar but they're not, they're not. Mercy is up close and personal. Mercy only happens when I've been wronged. It only exists when there's been a wrong. If there's not been a wrong, there's no need for mercy. So it only exists when there's been a wrong. And so I have to engage with people in order to give mercy. I have to know people in order to give 
mercy. Sacrifice is something that can be a one-way thing. I can walk in, I can drop a check in the offering and, and I can feel like I'm good and I can walk out and I'm not interacting with anybody and I didn't have to deal with anybody's stuff. It was a one-way thing. Mercy requires two. It requires two. And so Jesus is saying people matter. Get involved with people. It's up close and it's personal. And the second thing I would say about this process is it's gonna be countercultural. It's gonna be countercultural. It goes against this either or culture that we tend to live in. To love people this way, to be unified this way is gonna be so different than what you see on social media. It's gonna be so different than political talking points. It's gonna rise above those. It's gonna be countercultural. So peace, this bond idea. The word bond actually in the Greek means like a belt, like literally a bond, like something that would hold you together. So I had an idea and the preaching team talked me out of it, but I was gonna have us all stand up and hold a rope and wrap it around ourselves. They said, maybe not. I'm like, okay. So I figured I'll just hold the rope. But imagine if you know Christ, that this rope is wrapped around all of us. It's like a belt holding us together. And Paul is saying, what holds us together, this bond, this belt, this rope, is peace. It's peace. It's not conflict, it's not argument, it's not debate, it's peace. Through the bond of peace. And it makes sense, right? Because he just said, live in all humility and gentleness, and humbleness. Make every effort to keep this through the bond of peace. And it makes sense because what did Jesus do that we saw in Ephesians chapter two? He came and he brought peace. And he took the two and he made them one and he broke down the dividing wall of hostility and he brought peace. And so how do we keep the unity of the spirit? We make it a priority. We see the purpose but we value peace through peace. Not progress, not advancing, but through peace. Have you ever thought about moments before? You know, life has lots and lots of moments. 
And for some reason, some of those moments seem more significant than others. You can think back to certain moments in your own life that you remember those moments. Maybe it was a decision you made and maybe it was a right decision you made or maybe it was a wrong decision you made. But that moment that you had to make that decision is a, that's a big one. That was a big moment. I'm looking around at your faces and I know some of your moments. Maybe it's a birth of a child or a, a marriage or something like that, some type of moment. Maybe it was a career change that you went through. There are moments in our life and many of them rise to significance. Like they, they matter for some reason more than other moments. What if this was a moment for us as a church? What if this was a moment? You know, we put out this statement that by 2030, we wanna see a network of three spiritually health, healthy leader multiplying churches in our area. We can look around at our state and we can realize that the church in West Virginia is it's not doing great these days. We need a move of God to happen in our state. And what if this is a moment that, that God's calling us and he's saying, you know what, I want you, I want you to be included in this move. I want you to be included in what's gonna happen over the next 15 to 20 years. I want, I want you to be part of that. I want you to be able to participate in that. What's it gonna take for us to do that? Well, we got smart people and we got people that are great with numbers and, and we can figure stuff out and we got plans and we got all that stuff. But I think what we're seeing today is the major driver, the major goal is unity. If we're gonna define spiritually healthy, unity is gonna be a big part of it. And so if this is one of those, if this is one of those moments where, where God's kind of calling us into a what could be, our job, our job is to get unified. That means we have to prioritize it. Make every effort to keep that means we're aware of that purpose. It's the, it's the power for the church and it's the vision of Jesus for the world. And that means we pursue peace with each other. We pursue peace. Maybe for us, there's a season of reconciliation that needs to take place. Maybe there's a season of forgiveness that needs to take place, a season of mercy or grace, whatever it might be, wherever you find yourself relationally with those around you, peace. We need to pursue peace. The church practices two ordinances both of which are symbols of our union with Christ and our identification with his people. First one is baptism. Baptism. For years when I would baptize people, I would say buried with Christ in baptism. 
and you go under the water. It's a symbol of my union with Jesus. It's a hand in the air saying that I'm with him. And normally when you're baptized, you're, you're with people. And part of that is because it's, a, it's an us thing. It's an us thing. It's an identification with a people group. There's a union there, a unity there that's true. And so we practice that. And on November 6th, if you've never been baptized, we're gonna give you an opportunity in our services. We're finally, hallelujah, back to the place where we can do this in our services. And if you remember the days we were nervous about COVID and water and all, who knows, you know? But we're finally back to the place where we can do that in our services. And so November 6th, both at the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock, there's an opportunity for you to be baptized. And so if you'd like to do that, you can go online on the website and you can register. And we would love to have you part of that morning as we participate in baptism together. But the second way, guys, you can bring the communion out if you'd like to. The second way is through communion. So on your way in this morning, you got a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And just like baptism is a symbol, communion is a symbol. But it represents our unity with Christ. And it represents our unity with each other. We do this together. We do this collectively. We do this as a body. Because as we look around the room, we see a whole bunch of people who know Jesus. And so they know Jesus. And so therefore the Holy Spirit indwells you. And so you're sitting beside someone who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, just like you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So the unity of the spirit that's present right now in this place, in this moment, it, what's, what makes these moments so valuable? And so when we do this, we literally eat, eat these. We're united with Christ. This is the centerpiece of the church. It's the centerpiece of the church. We're united with Christ and through his power then united with each other. For more information, visit us at biblecenterchurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.